Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris Henry, the Museum Programs Coordinator, and right across the table from me, my cohort. Yep, I'm your other host, Tom Charpentier, Government Relations Director. Well, thanks, Tom. Uh, Good to be back here doing a little hangar flying today uh, with our friend Mike Beck. Mike is our speaker uh, on the night that we're recording this. Um, and it, it's a little bit something different. You know, we've talked, especially the last few episodes, we've been talking about high speed, high altitude. Uh, you know, we've talked about aircraft like uh, the the, uh, the Concorde, the B-58. Um, but we're going to shift gears a little bit because it's one of the things I really love about EAA is if it flies, it's fair game here. And I always like that, that you're not kind of stuck talking about just one aspect of aviation. Um, and one aspect that I don't know if we've ever talked about on the green dot is lighter than air flying hot air balloon. And Mike's going to, uh, talk a little bit about that tonight at our speaker series. Uh, and we've, uh, we've dragged him into the museum here out of a cold uh, winter day. Uh, to talk a little bit about that uh, here on the Green Dot today. So, uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us and being a part of this. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Well, you know, first question we always ask, I think it's uh, kind of our routine now, um, what first got you excited about flying? Yeah, so it's kind of funny uh, how you mentioned that about uh, balloons being low and slow and then how a lot of your, lot of your programming is uh, real fast stuff because how I actually got into aviation was – Way back in 1989, when I was nine years old, my dad took us along the airport fence right next to old Steve Whitman hangar, and uh, of course, that's right on a departure end of runway 36, and SR-71 came flying over, super low, super fast, full afterburner, just shaking the ground under our feet. Since then, I was addicted to it. Um, you know, after that, it was just, I was always looking skyward at airplanes, and uh, it kind of grew from there. Worked multiple aviation-related jobs, line service, uh, worked for a kit manufacturer, and uh, my current actual full-time gig, I'm an avionics installer for a, a business jet manufacturer here, and uh, I actually, uh, you know, just love everything aviation ever since that day. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, how did you end up, um, so you fly fixed wing as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I have a Sonics that I built, uh, finished in 2012, and I fly that. That's cool. How did you enjoy the build process on that? Oh, it's great. Uh, I love messing with stuff, tinkering with things, and uh, building stuff. So uh, it was uh, it was actually a really fun way to come into uh, owning an aircraft. I think. Well, now how did you how did you shift gears into to flying a hot air balloon? Yeah, so I was actually out flying my Sonics one night, and uh, my wedding anniversary was coming up. It was uh, our 17th wedding anniversary on June 17 of 2017. So I'm like, oh, I have to do something cool for that. Uh, my wife, she's not a big fan of flying. Uh, she'll tolerate it, but she doesn't thoroughly enjoy it as much as I do. Uh, but she always said she wanted to go on a hot air balloon ride. And I happened to just be out on a nice evening flight after work one night and saw a hot air balloon in the distance and uh, thought, well, that'll be the anniversary gift I'll get her. I happened to know another... A fixed wing pilot friend of mine who crewed for a balloon out of Appleton and talked to her and she set me up. We went on a balloon ride and my wife absolutely loved it, as did I. Funny story is she, she said on the way home, I think kind of jokingly, uh, we should buy one of those things, but she should know better to tell me to do that because that <laughs> night I was online 
Google searching used hot air balloons for sale. Sure enough, I found one in uh, Michigan, and I ended up buying it and uh, went to get my commercial balloon rating down in Utah shortly after. Wow. Now, now, how hard is it to get a balloon rating? Like, what kind of training do you do you do in that? Yeah, so it's actually not that bad at all. Uh, to get your your private in a balloon, it's only 10 hours of time that you need in it. Um, you know, you need to take a written test if you don't already have a uh, private pilot's license in a powered aircraft. Uh, to get your commercial, it's only 35 hours of total time. And then, uh, you know, you're just going through uh, balloon operations, really, just learning the ground handling procedures, inflation, uh, takeoff, landings, and, uh, you know, just basic operations. And, uh, yeah, it's it's actually a very economical way to get a pilot's license if you don't actually already hold one. You said you went to Utah to do this. Um, how, how many places around the country provide training? Well, so uh, interesting thing about ballooning is we don't have CFIs. So huh. as a commercial... Uh, balloon pilot, you're actually an instructor as well. So part of your commercial training will be learning the fundamentals of instruction and uh, actually writing out a flight plan, you know, teaching maneuvers to your instructor acting as a student. Um, So that's kind of an interesting fact. So you can find any commercial balloon pilot and do it part 61, uh, you know, like any other private instruction in any other form of aviation. Uh, However, there is actually a few Part 141 schools uh, scattered throughout the country. There's not a lot of them, maybe six or eight in total. Uh, they're all down in southwest United States just because the weather down there is more conducive to running a more intense, uh, time-constrained balloon school, uh, whereas you can't really do that up here because you can go weeks with between flights, like up in the Midwest up here. So most of them are down in uh, southern Utah, Arizona, uh, New Mexico, of course, which is the capital of ballooning. Sure. Awesome. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny. We talk about, you know, Chris mentioned we, we've, at least lately, we've been doing a lot of high-speed, high-altitude stuff. We also generally talk about uh, aircraft on this show that have uh, at least three axes of control. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I think that's something that that's uh, you know mystery even to, to a lot of very experienced pilots is how do you control and to what extent can you control a hot air balloon? Well, we go up and down. That's that's really <laughs> it. Uh, no, we uh, what we do is we use different wind layers to steer. I guess if you want to call it that, um, we can actually control our vertical uh, ascent and descent very finely. Uh, by doing that, we can get into different wind layers that will be at different speeds in different directions. Uh, around here, the winds aren't as steerable as down in the Southwest. Uh, but as I'll show my presentation tonight, uh, there's a friend of mine who had a flight track and a lot of times you'll be able to fly down low, say head south, pop up high, head to the north, and then you can drop back into that south layer and head back and land in the spot you took off from. Uh, so we can use that for steering, but yeah, there's no actual steering uh, or like you said, three axes of control like most aircraft have. So we're kind of at the mercy of the wind, really. And really, I always tell people, uh, they ask, well, where are we going to land? And as you just tell them, the ground, and I haven't missed yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> And about how long, you know, you say you say you'd need about 10 hours to uh, to fly, uh, sorry, to, to, to get your, uh, your rating. Um, about how long is a typical flight uh, for the balloons that you fly? Uh, so normally I flight plan for an hour. Uh, it all depends on you know all the all the factors of the weather uh, because 
we're at the mercy of the wind. So uh, it's really just dependent on how strong the winds are blowing and where it's taking us. If uh, we're heading towards a big body of water or something, we might need to uh, land short and uh, before we get over that body of water low on fuel, because that would not be fun. Um, retrieving a balloon out of a lake would, I think my crew would be pretty angry with me. <laughs> um, but generally, we try to flight plan for about an hour flight, um, kind of typical in, in the general aviation world, I think, anyway. So um, in the winters, when it's nice and cool out, uh, we can actually fly for three or more hours at times, though. So wow. it's kind of nice. Well, so recently, uh, um, and I'm glad we we, we got this done. Um, we had a couple attempts, but recently we flew together, yeah. uh, which was really fun. I'd never flown in a hot air balloon before. Um, we had two attempts prior, which are also really cool to talk about because I, I actually really enjoyed it. Just learning how to set up a how to set up a balloon, you know, and all that went into it, and and your amazing crew that works with you. It was really fun. It was a really great group of people. Um, but one of my my most favorite parts of this, the flight that we did, all of it was cool, and there's so many different parts. But the landing, you you talked about how you know the the landing is always uh, kind of part of the adventure, and I, it was really almost like a throwback to barnstorming because we ended up uh, in this farmer's field, and before we actually touched down, they were out there looking at us. You know, they had come out, they were out in the woods hunting, and it was uh, a guy and his daughter. And we asked them, like, hey, is it okay if, you know, we, we land here? And they said, yeah. And we landed in their field. And, like, before we were packed up, like, the family was out. The daughter had, had a chance to climb in the basket with us. Like, it was it was like a form of barnstorming. It, it was really cool. We had, you know, the – do you want to talk about the uh, the wine? Uh, not oh, yeah. not so, real wine that we had. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, to kind of go back on that point, uh, that's kind of the really unique thing about ballooning uh, – you know, there's a lot of aviation, I call myself an aviation nerd, and uh, there's a lot of us that will see any kind of airplane flying over and look up. But for the general public, they don't really look up at the sky when they see a 172 fly over or something. But when they see a hot air balloon in the sky, it, it draws a lot of attention. And uh, we'll actually have convoys of cars following us as we're flying, uh, taking pictures, and then they, you know, they follow us. And uh, when we land, they come up and talk to us. And that's a really, really unique aspect of it. Um, you know, so that's kind of cool. And then as, uh, Chris had mentioned at the end, uh, we do a celebration, uh, just to celebrate a successful flight. And we have, uh, it's a champagne celebration. We actually use non-alcoholic, uh, sparkling juice now for various reasons. Apparently, uh, sometimes we'll land at schools and they don't really, uh, enjoy us drinking on their property for some reason. Don't ask me how I know. Uh, but, uh, so we have this little celebration at the end. We, uh, we do a toast and say the balloonist prayer. And that actually goes way back in history uh, to the early days of ballooning, which the first balloon was the anniversary of uh, man balloon flies actually coming up in a few days here back in November of uh, 1783. And what would happen is way back then in the French, French countryside, uh, these balloons weren't like modern hot air balloons with a nice propane burner and uh, nice clean burning fuel. They would actually throw straw and wool into uh, the bottom of the balloon and light it on fire. And as you can imagine, it was billowing smoke out and flames. And these things would come crashing down in a farmer's field and the farmer would run out with a pitchfork and stab it to death. And you can imagine uh, trying to repair a balloon back then or even today with a hundred pitchfork holes in it is <laughs> not, a, not a great task. So uh, what the French would do then is they'd bring champagne with them on flights uh, 
because the farmers apparently thought it was a sky demon coming down. And uh, so apparently, I guess if you bring champagne, the farmer's like, oh, yeah, well, sky demons obviously don't drink champagne. So (laughs) we know these people are friendly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That was fantastic. A fantastic part of the good, cool way to wrap up the evening out there. Yeah, it really really just adds a little extra flair to the end of it, I think. Yeah, it's fascinating, too, because, you know, we talk about all the traditions in, uh, you know, in in fixed wing flying Mm -hmm. and other types of flying, but but oftentimes fixed wing, you know, cutting the shirt for solo and, uh, you know, all the, yeah, all the stuff that goes back to the the Wright brothers and before. And uh, but but this is, you know, this is something that goes back to, gosh, the American Revolution was still going on. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's it it goes back a long way. And uh, there's actually a lot first in ballooning that most people don't even realize, uh, you know, it was actually the first attempt at delivering airmail, air which uh, did not go very great as balloons, as we just talked about, are not really steerable. So trying to fly uh, airmail, the actual first attempt was from Lafayette, Indiana to New York City. And uh, the pilot, John Wise, actually, he flew for five hours, went 30 miles, crashed in the woods and scattered the mail throughout the woods. So <laughs> <laughs> obviously that wasn't a good, a good thing. But, you know, there's a lot of firsts like that in ballooning history that go back way into the 17, 1800s. And it's just, it's really amazing. You could kind of argue that balloons uh, were the first warbird. Oh yeah, they were actually too. So way back in the Civil War, uh, actually shortly after the airmail attempt, uh, the Union Army developed a balloon corps and they would use those balloons as reconnaissance balloons uh, so they could see the enemy troops movements and relay that information to the commanders on the ground. So then uh, the Confederate Army happened to us in this balloon, tethered up 1,000 feet above them, and said, hey, we should do that too. So they started their own uh, kind of balloon corps, I guess. It wasn't real well organized. Uh, but there is one story of a battle. Uh, they knew they were close to each other, uh, the two opposing sides, north and south. They didn't realize how close because it was a densely wooded area. So they're like, well, let's use these balloons for their intended purposes. Sent up the balloons, and they were only yards apart. And uh, the balloon crews loaded their muskets and uh, started blasting away at each other. So oh, it was actually the first form of aerial combat. So that's kind of a little interesting fact as well. <laughs> Chris, we got to get on that. We got to get the uh, one of the like like a replica of one of those balloons I, I, out in Warbirds. You got it. That'd be, <laughs> yeah. that'd be amazing. Right. You know, put, put that in the eagle hangar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, so one of the things I noticed in our observation of our flight, uh, something I guess I didn't, I guess I didn't prepare myself for was how quiet it is. I mean, it's just, there's no sound. I mean, when you're not firing the burner, there's nothing. So we would fly over. uh, I remember we flew over a couple who were having a fire pit in their backyard. And, like, you could hear them talking. And a golden retriever came out in the backyard and, like, barked at us, you know. (laughs) And and it was just amazing how quiet it is up there. Yeah, and that's that's one of the really cool things that ballooning can provide that other forms of aviation really don't. You know, like you said, we... We flew over that fire. You could smell the smoke from uh, their bonfire. You could hear them talking and laughing below. Uh, I know I've flown over people cooking out below. You could smell the the ribs cooking or whatever, and uh, you'll fly over, they'll hear the bat, the blast of the burner, and they'll uh, see you look up, wave. They'll say hi. You can say hi back. We can talk. You know, we're flying low enough where we can actually talk to people on the ground. It's it's really cool. And many times, if it's a morning flight, people say, land in my yard, I got hot coffee on. Or uh, in the evenings, like, come on down and land here, I got a nice cold beer for you. So, you know, stuff like that, you just, you really don't get to experience that in other forms of aviation. Like you said, you're literally just floating quietly along like a cloud. It's it's 
just simply amazing. Wow. And most uh, somewhat recently, you actually went and flew in the big balloon rally um, down in um, Albuquerque. 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 Thank yep. you. Yeah. I, that looks incredible. That had to be an amazing experience. Oh, yeah. So it was it was actually the 50th anniversary of Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta this year. And I decided to go down. I've been trying to get down there a couple of years. It just didn't work out. Um, however, this year, I decided that my wife Brenda and I would head down there, and I signed up as an additional pilot uh, under my friend Sonia. Uh, so it was really nice because I didn't have to haul my balloon down there because I was only down there for a very short time. Uh, unfortunately, starting a new job, I uh, don't have a lot of vacation time this time of year, so uh, I was able to go down at least experience it and uh, fly as an additional pilot in her system. But, man, it was it was like nothing I've ever seen before. There's literally 600 balloons out there. It's 833,000 people attending it. And, you know, those numbers are similar to like what we see at AirVenture, but AirVenture grounds are just enormous. And down there, it's literally a field that's three quarters of a mile long by half a mile wide. And uh, you have 600 balloons on there and, you know, 800,000 people over the nine days. Uh, but it, man, it runs so seamlessly. I was, I was kind of nervous at first. I'm like, man, this is going to be just a mess. But there's launch directors, which it calls zebras. And uh, they actually tell you when to launch as they're looking out, uh, what balloons are flying, what ones are behind you. And it, it's a well-oiled machine. And once you're up there flying, you look around everywhere. You look around you just balloons everywhere. Like it was overwhelming almost like, wow, it's just like a sight you've never seen. I definitely recommend, uh, heading down there and checking it out at least for a couple of days, uh, just cause weather with ballooning can be difficult at times. And, uh, but yeah, it's amazing. It's it was worth the trip, that's for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask about uh, deconfliction for that because I've always seen the pictures, and I mean, it's you're, you're, yeah, it's just a sky full of balloons, and um, it always seems like there's there's at least a possibility of uh, two balloons gently bumping into each other or something like that. But oh yeah, that, yeah. that happens as long as the the main balloon part called the envelope, as long as they're bouncing off each other it's that's fine yeah. uh, what you don't want to do is you don't want to have a basket hit an envelope because then you could possibly snag the, the envelope fabric and uh, yeah. cause a tear or something but yeah balloons bounce each other off each other all the time especially down there uh, we're running we're have a line of balloons all inflated and they're literally smashed against each other but uh you know, it, it really is. Those launch directors do an amazing job. Uh, they launch in waves. Uh, so they start at the south end of the field, and then the first couple lines go, and then they basically just work their way up to the north end of the field and, uh, you know, just launch everyone in sequence. And like I said, I, I was I, I was shocked at how smoothly it ran for that many balloons in that small area. Yeah. So you talked about uh, communications. So if you're that close to a balloon, do you just talk to one another? And it- oh, yeah. Yeah, we, <laughs> you know, like, uh, for instance, there's a there's a event up in Wausau. It's called Taste and Glow. That's a really cool event. It's like 40 balloons they have up there, so it's not obviously as big as uh, some of these huge events, but it's still a really good size. And uh, this last year, it's kind of funny because uh, my friend Ken from Waukesha, he flies uh, for Remax, and I were we we're at the same altitude. Our balloons were almost touching, and so we were talking with each other as we're flying. But uh, it was funny because I was heading like to the northwest and he was actually heading straight to the west and i'm like how does this work and i'm i'm talking i'm like hey where are you going you're at the same altitude as me how are you heading in a different direction but um yeah so it's you know that's really cool and 
It actually is a safety point too, because if I'm flying over the top of another balloon, we don't want that balloon ascending into us. So if I'm in a higher wind layer uh, and overtaking a balloon over the top of them, I'll yell down to them, hey, I'm over the top of you, because we don't want them to climb up and hit our basket as the top of the envelope has a valve to let us vent heat out. And if they were to ascend into us and that would uh, open that valve out and could cause a serious situation. So yeah, we literally just yell down to them and say, hey, I'm above you, or you know, uh, just talk to them as we're flying next to them, that kind of stuff. It's, it's really unique that way. So walk us through a, a little bit, something that I, uh, I didn't know was as involved as it was. Can you walk us through what it's like to launch a balloon from all, all the way from you pull up to the site? Yeah, so I'll actually go a little bit before that. So uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll start with a standard briefing uh, from flight service like you would in a fixed wing aircraft. <laughs> However, we're going more in depth because uh, as any pilots know, when you look at your briefing, uh, your winds aloft are at 3,000 foot intervals. Well, a lot of times we're not even going up to 3,000 feet. So we're looking at more micro scale winds and we're using different forecasts uh, and different methods to do that. Uh, we're looking at radar winds and uh, all kinds of interesting stuff like that. And then when we meet, what we'll do is we'll send up what's called a pie ball. That's a helium balloon. And basically we just launch that, let it go. And uh, we're timing it because we know they climb at roughly 300 feet a minute. So as that balloon ascends, we can actually, you know, see when it makes a change in direction. We can look at our watch and figure out the altitude that that different wind layer is at. Uh, lately, I've been using a drone. Uh, it actually gives a real precise measurement of the wind speeds. We just take it off, shoot it straight up uh, to 400 feet or some areas. I actually have a waiver to go up to 1500 feet and straight down. And as it's flying straight up and straight down, it's trying to compensate for any uh, wind correction. And it actually offloads that data into software, which then computes it into wind direction and speed at a very precise measurement and uh, at like every 50 feet. So that's really helpful. Uh, yeah, so then after we do that, we'll get our, our direction. We'll uh, head out to where we're going to launch from based on where the wind direction is out of. And uh, we'll basically drag the balloon envelope out, uh, set up the basket, connect everything, and uh, we'll have a big fan that puts a lot of cold air or just ambient air into it. That's called cold packing the envelope. Once it's about 70% inflated with uh, just that ambient air, then we'll light the fires and uh, throw a bunch of heat into it. Our burners put out uh, in the teens of millions of BTUs, so they put out quite a bit of heat, um, so it doesn't take much. Throw some fire in there, stand the balloon up, do some last-minute pre-flight checks, load our passengers, and uh, go flying. I think my uh, my wife thought it was really cool until she showed up and we were tied to the bumper of your truck. <laughs> and and I think that's when she first was a little concerned of like, you're really going to go do this, huh? You know, and uh, uh, but you do, you, you harness uh, oh, yeah. you know, to something like a ground vehicle to, to make sure you don't pre-launch before you're ready for it. Yeah. So, you know, like the winds are goofy. And as actually one of the prior attempts with you, as you experienced, uh, we had set up the balloon. We actually inflated it, and out of nowhere, it wasn't forecasted to be gusty or anything. And like I said, it was a beautiful evening. We got out to the launch field, and the winds just picked up. And it's a good thing we were tied off because otherwise we would have literally been out of control. Uh, 
the blue medicine flay is, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of mass. So uh, it really needs to be tied off to a vehicle just for safety reasons uh, when we're inflating it in case we get those little gusty winds that pop up. Well, so tell me a little bit. You're one of the few people that actually um, isn't, you know, uh, a company that sells the experience so people can get a chance to do this. How did you form that? Yeah, so originally it was just a way for us to compensate costs, basically. Uh, we thought, well, if we do some rides here and there, we can uh, end up basically flying for free. So who doesn't want to fly for free? Uh, however, it kind of turned into more than that. Uh, you know, the stories that we get from the people we meet is just amazing. We have so many fun flights um, that now it's more than just doing it to fly for free. We're doing it to share our passion with others and to hear these people's stories that we fly with. You know, we do stuff like engagements. Uh, we've done wedding events, uh, a lot of anniversaries and birthdays. We also do, unfortunately, uh, it's kind of the, the more heart, you know, pulling at your heartstrings type thing, uh, a lot of bucket list flights for people who are terminally ill and, you know, they want to experience a balloon flight before uh, they pass away. Uh, those are always fun, but those are kind of tough ones as well. Um, you know, and some of the other flights are just so deep and meaningful. Uh, one that really sticks out to me is we took up uh, a couple who had a gift certificate. And when we're flying, as you know, Chris, I always like to get a, a selfie of the passengers and myself. And I had them turn around to get this uh, the, the selfie and the lady was just bawling. And I thought she was, you know, having an anxiety attack or something. So I'm like, oh man, am, am, are you okay? Am I going to have to land? Uh, which is no big deal. You know, some people you know, just can't take flying in a wicker basket thousands of feet above the ground. <laughs> um, but she actually said, no, those are tears of joy. And she told me the story of how her church had given her this gift certificate because their young son had recently passed away. And the church felt that uh, this would be a good way for them to see what he sees from heaven. And I'll tell you what, there was a lot of pollen in the air that day because my eyes were watering <laughs> bad after her, hearing that. Um, yeah. But yeah, so stuff like that is just, just amazing and you know we're sharing these experiences with people which is absolutely just a great thing to do well the, the people stories really make it i mean anybody that knows me knows that, I, that i'm totally into that with uh with our air tours like the b17 b25 oh, yeah. the ford I, those people stories really take these airframes to a whole nother level yeah uh, it truly and, does and it really really concretes why it's important to fly them and why it's important what you do. Yeah. Um, it, no, that's fantastic. Is there one flight overall that you've done that stands out as uh, whether it's the most fun or just the, the, if you're at a party and somebody finds out you fly balloons and they want to hear a story, is there one that's like your go-to, like, oh, this is my favorite story? Um, I think, you know, I think for the most fun uh, was <coughs> flying in Albuquerque. Yeah. Uh, just because it was so amazing looking around everywhere and just seeing balloons like anywhere, any direction. Um, and the winds out there are kind of fun. So you kind of, you can kind of plan your flight because, you know, like I said, they have that down low, they have that southerly direction and you pop up high and uh, we got a little north, northwest direction. And, you know, so I plan my flight and I actually landed uh, very close to where I wanted to. So, uh, you know, so that, that's always fun, but uh, <laughs> for, Kind of craziest flights, I think. Uh, one was my uh, our first flight after I bought our current balloon, and it was uh, my wife's 
first flight in our balloon, my daughter's first flight. And uh, kind of the interesting thing around, about this area is in the evenings, we get a lake breeze off of Lake Michigan. And I fly a little bit west of Oshkosh, and we actually get that lake breeze accelerated by Lake Winnebago. So I wasn't really completely used to that. And so I uh, took my wife and daughter up for this flight, and it was early in the year, so snow had just melted and everything was very wet. But I'm like, well, we can find a nice road or grassy field to land in, no big deal. So uh, I, ha I see this nice grassy pasture. I'm coming down to land in it, and uh, when you know it, that lake breeze hits us. Turns us 90 degrees uh, to the west in an instant. And my only option was to land in the middle of this probably 100 acre uh, field that was just solid mud and water. And my crew had to chase me and uh, drag us out that muddy field. So our first flight was not great. It took me three days to wash the balloon off. <laughs> um, you know, so that was crazy. Um, I don't know if we have time for one more. I got a ton yeah, of them. But absolutely. One of the funnest ones, I, <laughs> it was just kind of a, just an interesting flight, it was up at that Wausau Taste and Glow balloon rally. I took uh, my mother and my daughter up, and we flew, had a great flight, found this nice pasture to land in, and I noticed that there was some livestock way out in the distance, uh, you know, quite a ways away. No big deal. Normally, we try to avoid livestock because the, the burner can scare them, and I really don't feel like buying a broken horse or chasing cows <laughs> down county roads. So, uh, But I figured, oh, they're far enough away, and there are a couple pastures over. There's numerous fences between us. So I land this pasture. Well, turns out there's electric fence around that pasture, so my crew couldn't get into us. So they were searching for a way to get into this field and uh, get to us. In the meantime, these cows had worked their way over to us. So instead of being scared, they came over, and they were actually coming right up to the basket and uh, snuffling in the basket and getting cow slobber all over the leather. <laughs> um, so it was kind of funny. One of my crew guys eventually got found the gate, got through, and uh, he was just shooing the cows away and they never probably ran more than 100 feet from the balloon uh, so we actually made a plan that we would actually have to float the balloon up to the farmer's house and deflate in his yard because i didn't want the the cows to uh trample on the balloon fabric with their hooves and get cow slobber all over the balloon so uh so we end up doing that and a little fun side thing about that is every year at that rally now that that farmer and his family come up to us and they tell us uh you know, they come find us, say hi, and tell us how, just how much they enjoyed that as they were sitting there eating their breakfast, watching this whole thing unfold and just laughing hysterically at us. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, this wasn't the place where the one cow tipped over, was it? Oh, no, that was a, <laughs> that was another another incident, but uh, that cow was okay, too. So. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So as, as a, the regulatory policy guy, I, I'm always fascinated by other types of flying and, and kind of how the, the rules are some either different or the same and um and some of the yeah some of the intricacies of it so how about some of the other uh we talked about pilot certification what about some of the other things like how is a balloon certified um you know i i know there's standard category balloons or experimental balloons um are there balloon a and p's uh so funny thing with that is yeah so there's standard category there's experimental balloons experimental ballooning is actually really starting to grow uh, they actually have a organization now called the ebaa um but, which is really cool i actually plan on building a balloon this winter uh, so we'll try that and see how that goes um but yeah so if they're certified just like in the fixed wing world uh they have to have annual inspections and everything and 
Uh, normally we have repair stations uh, with a balloon repairman. Uh, right now in the state, there's only one down kind of uh, by Oconomowoc. So we have to run down there and he does the repairs or uh, inspections for us. Um, as for other regulatory stuff, yeah, we, we pretty much follow Part 91 like any other general aircraft, um, which some stuff gets kind of goofy, especially with minimum altitudes. Sometimes we need to be down low behind below those minimum altitudes to get a safe wind direction to take us in the place where we want to be. Whereas if we're actually maintaining, you know, that minimum altitude, it can actually be in a wind direction that we don't want to be going. Uh, so some of that stuff is weird. Um, but yeah, we actually, part 91 fully applies to us. And, uh, you know, same thing with all the standards. Uh, we did actually just get notification yesterday that uh, commercial operations are now going to require a class two medical. Uh, up until yesterday, there was no medical requirements for balloons at all. And that still does apply to uh, private ratings in balloons. So you don't need a medical uh, for that. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, I know that was a very political issue because of, uh, well, some things that happened. But yeah, um, yeah no, the 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 A&P, though, and uh, yeah, the A&P and inspection, that's kind of interesting. Like, like, what's an inspection on a balloon? I assume you go over to the envelope and make sure, you know, that the fabric's in good shape and stuff like that. But do you like, uh, I don't know, is, is a good balloon A&P a good basket weaver, too? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's baskets are made of wicker. And one of the reasons is they're, they're strong and they're also... Uh, they're flexible enough, and if they if the wicker breaks, it's easy enough to repair that. They're literally, yeah, weaving baskets yeah. and stuff. But uh, yeah, we go through the fabric uh, panel by panel on a balloon, and make sure there's no big holes or anything like that. And then we actually strength test. We do what's called a pull test. Uh, the fabric has to meet uh, like 40 pounds of pull test without ripping, and we do that in each color of the balloon. We go through the basket and the fuel system, pressure check the tanks, uh, pressure check the fuel system, operate the burner, make sure that's working good. And then every uh, five years, we have to have the, the tanks recertified as well. So, One more question on the, on the, on the baskets. Is, is it because of tradition or is it really the best material to use wicker? I mean, it is tradition, but yeah, it's actually, it is a really good material. They've tried other uh you know, more modern materials such as aluminum and carbon fiber. However, it just doesn't seem to have the properties that the wicker does. Uh, some of our landings can be a little, uh, little sketchy sometimes. I'm not going to lie. You get a little bit of wind behind you. And, you know, like I said, there's like 7,000 pounds of mass in my balloon when it's inflated. Uh, so it takes a little bit to stop. So you're going to be bouncing and dragging along the ground. And that wicker is strong enough, but yet flexible enough to take that abuse without cracking or bending and um, like I said, if it does break, it's it's fairly easy and cheap to fix. It was very interesting on our landing. Um, you know, when we uh, uh, our initial landing was good, and then we had to kind of move around and things like that. And, and um, it was interesting to see how it almost acted as like a shock absorber. Oh yeah, uh, the wicker kind of makes it the uh, you know kind of like some padding for you or something. It was pretty cool, especially when we tipped it over at the end. You know, when yep. we were going to lay the basket down. Uh, I, I was expecting something a lot more violent than it was. It was actually like falling down in slow motion. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. Um, so one part we have to talk about. Oh, boy. Uh, and we haven't is your crew. You have a oh, dedicated yeah. crew um, because like an airplane, for the most part, you aren't going to go back to the exact spot you launched from on, on most nights. Um, so you have a crew that follows you. Tell me a little bit about your crew. Yeah, uh, we really can't do this without our crew. Um, and on that note, landowners as well, because 
without our crew and our landowners uh, that are letting us use their land to take off and uh, land on, we really couldn't do this. But yeah, our crew is amazing. They're they're really like a family to us. Uh, you know, they're out there setting up, the, helping us set up the balloon. Uh, then when we go fly, they follow us. They chase us in the in our chase vehicle with the trailer, meet us when we land, and help us tear everything down and you know pack it back up. Uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, a lot of them will follow me to balloon events, uh, like up in Seymour, up in Wausau, and they'll spend the weekend. Uh, I basically get a hotel room for them, and they spend the weekend. But, man, those events are tons of work because we'll fly in the morning. We'll go back, take a nap, because we're getting up at 4 in the morning to get out right at sun, at sunrise to you know go fly. And then, so that's not bad, but we'll take a nap, go back out to the field, and then what we do is We'll inflate the balloon, so we have to go through the process, setting it all up. We'll fly, take it all down, pack it up, and then race back to the event field and set it all up again for the nighttime balloon glow. And then after that's done, then we'll have to take it all down. So, you know, it's it's a lot of work, and uh, our crew does it because uh, they love it. And, you know, it is fun. I like crewing for other pilots as well sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of fun just to, to do that. But, yeah, man, we really couldn't do it with Elman. We're so grateful to have good people who uh, like to help us out on that. Oh, it's a lot of fun, and you're you're right. There, uh, it is a real real tight knit group, and, and uh, your crew seems to. I I was quickly quickly made to feel like part of the team. I mean, it was uh, a really welcoming group of uh, of people there. Just oh, yeah. really wonderful. Yeah, my current crew is just like I said, they're absolutely amazing. So does does your wife and daughter like to go fly with you? And how about your son as well? Oh yeah, they all they all like. Uh, ballooning. Uh, my daughter likes flying in fixed wing better than a balloon, uh, but my son and wife, they definitely like the balloon a lot better. So, oh, That's awesome. If there's somebody out there that's uh, that's thinking about wanting to do this, what's one of the, I guess, biggest pieces of advice you'd, you'd like to give them? I think the best thing to do is uh, if, you, if you want to find out more, talk to a balloon pilot or a balloon crew member. And if you don't know anyone personally, uh, go to one of these balloon events and you know, talk to them there. Or if you're just out driving around on a nice uh, evening and see a balloon, literally go chase them down when they land, help them pack up, uh, talk to them about ballooning. I'll tell you what, balloon pilots and crew love two things, and that's uh, that's people helping them pack up and talking about balloons. So um, <laughs> so they'll be more than happy to have you out there and uh, help you have you help pack up and, you know, talk about balloons with you. Yeah, I know uh, – uh Definitely on the on the side of the more people, the easier the pack up. That was certainly oh, the yeah. case on our flight. So, on uh, a couple others where we we attempted and we couldn't because of weather, where maybe we only had two or three or four of us uh, that night. Having uh, there was like six of us with the your crew and then the the landowners. Uh, it went super quick, and that was uh, that was perfect. Oh yeah, it was getting yeah. cold quick out there. So <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. One of the you know I think one of the most special things, uh, and I'm going to ask you this, that I saw on that flight was. We're flying over this marsh, and there had to have been like like two dozen deer, just kind of running out free, you know, hiding in the bush when we lit off a burner. But just kind of, you're just watching nature kind of at it at its best, you know, uninterrupted. What's one of the coolest sights you've seen from the balloon? Um, there's just so many; it's hard to pick one. You know, like every flight just has so many cool things. You know, we'll be flying over a Martian, like you said, like seeing those deer run. And, you know, we noticed them uh, uh, on your flight. We could hear them in the cattails 10 feet below us, but we couldn't see them because they were bedding down just to hide. So that was, you know, stuff like that's cool. 
we'll fly over, you know, a body of water and uh, we'll hear ducks quacking and actually hear their wings as they take off, you know, hitting the, their wingtips, hitting the water, uh, making splashing. And, you know, we'll hear turkeys and uh, just seeing the wildlife. And like you said, we're literally floating over just like a cloud. And uh, it's a totally unique way to, to just view your surroundings uh, compared to, and I love flying and everything. I've flown in all kinds of stuff, airplanes, helicopters, uh, a Zeppelin, NT. Um, but, man, ballooning is just a totally different and unique aspect of what you see and experience when you're actually flying. Yeah, absolutely. I was not prepared for the silence. Yeah. I was not prepared for just how peaceful it really is up there. And and like you said, I've flown in a lot of different stuff. Uh, Tom, you have as well. I mean, it's uh, – um, it's always fun. It's always a unique experience. Uh, this was one I was not prepared for. And yeah, and funny story about that is I've I've actually had people who are like real hardcore type per, type A personalities, and they've gone a balloon ride, and they're like, "Oh, that was kind of boring." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of a relaxing flight. It's not we're not doing uh, unlimited aerobatics here. <laughs> it's not the extreme. It's, yeah. it's the opposite. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Chris. Most of the stuff I fly, uh, silence is a very bad thing." Yeah, yeah, that's right, true. Right? That's true. Yeah, if it gets quiet when we're in the 172, then yeah. there's yeah, there's an issue, and uh, and we're also going to need a crew to come get us. That's <laughs> <So>. right. Yes. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for for being here. Thanks for sharing your passion, your love, and uh, uh, and your, your your joy of of ballooning and what you do. We're looking forward to having you here tonight. Um, Tom, I don't want to step on you. Do you have any closing comments? Are you good? No, take it away, Chris. All right. Um, I look forward to, to hearing uh, your talk tonight. We are going to video it, so if you aren't uh, able to make the speaker series, you can always catch it online down the road when we put it up on the website. Uh, I encourage you, if you are in the area uh, and you uh, have an interest in aviation, not only to come out to the museum, but come out and check out our schedule online of when we're going to have a speaker night. Uh, and come out. It's a really fun experience to see all different types, different speakers talk about uh, their experiences in aviation, and uh, and you get to ask your question, which is a lot of fun. So, um, at, I just want to make sure we thank everybody that's out there listening to the Green Dot. Um, leaves great comments and and just supports our our, uh, our adventures here. We we certainly do enjoy doing this. Those comments really help us uh, show uh, and, and sort of showcase what we do here. Uh, want to make sure I also call out if you have an idea of someone you'd love to see on the green dot, let us know who it is. Uh, and, and we'll see if we can get them. And, uh, I, I mean, someone living, of course, don't give me Abraham Lincoln or something like that. Uh, <laughs> let me know who out there you'd like to hear on the green dot, uh, who has an aviation background and we can see if we can uh, get them on. Um, want to also make sure I thank, uh, Scott and, uh, uh, Scott Geezy and Rob Molash, who, uh, uh, sort of are the, uh, the guys running the show behind the curtain, they really help uh, uh, put this together. If it wasn't for them, uh, this would just be a string of uhs and ms and things like that. So thank you guys. And uh, again, thank everybody for listening. We look forward to catching you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. <laughs>